what startup founder wouldn't want free visitors to their website from Google? That's the allure of SEO, and that's why so many founders pursue SEO as part of their marketing mix. Unfortunately, SEO is neither short-term or an easy strategy. The guidelines are vague at best, and the industry full of differing opinions. So what should you as a founder focus on when it comes to SEO? My name's Jared Doyle, and I'll discuss all this and more in today's episode of the Fractal Marketing Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. And this week, we're going to be talking about SEO for startups, covering what you need to know, what you should be doing, and what most importantly to look out for. And this week, I'm joined by James Norkay, who is the Director of Prosperity Media. Um, Welcome to the show, James. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. I don't think I got your surname correct then, so apologies. Do you want, do you want to give it a, a better version of the pronunciation for me and everyone listening? Uh, it's Norquay, so James Norquay, but close enough. I got there. I've got a name with Jared. People get Jared or Gerard or Gerald. So I like to think that people get my name wrong, so I'm allowed to make some small mistakes on the way through. So we're going to focus on SEO, and we're both you know, passionate about SEO. We've both been practicing it for a long time, and we both work with startups, and so we both you know, want to help startups make sure that they're doing the right things when it comes to SEO. So to kick off, speaking to founders here, James, what's the biggest difference you see in a startup company trying to do SEO for their website, which is probably starting from zero, um, as opposed to an enterprise client who's obviously got a lot more traffic and a lot more SEO value baked into their site? Yeah, so I think uh, startups make the mistake where they might jump onto a site like Fiverr and try and get their SEO done on Fiverr or they'll try and take the cheapest option out. And I think that sometimes if you start with the cheapest option, it can be a very bad option because it's like building a house on sand. It's, it's not a solid foundation. And the thing about SEO, it takes time to kind of build traffic. So you've got to get it right from the start. So if you go and you find a cheaper option to do your SEO, you might outsource it somewhere. Sometimes it might not be the best option for a long-term business. If you want to go on and raise um, significant rounds of funding, it might not be the best option. So that, And the difference is with a big business, they're probably going to be a bit more careful. They'll do their homework. They'll uh, go and talk to a few trusted advisors and they'll pick out a few agencies to come in for a pitch. So... That's the biggest difference. Also, with an established big business, they're going to already have traffic. They're already going to have some authority on the website. So that's also going to be beneficial for the business. Yeah, they're they're the two key kind of factors that I usually see in our experience working with the two different spectrums of business. And when you talk about authority there, you know, for the non-SEOs, the people sort of new to SEO, what, what does SEO authority look like to you? Um, So basically, SEO authority can mean like how strong your site's link profile is. So that means how many people are linking to your business. A link is pretty much like a hypertext link back to your site. Also, authority can be in terms of the, the content quality on the site. It can also come down to like how many brand searches a business is getting on a monthly basis as well. So if you're an authority website, you, you're going to be hitting all these areas. You're going to have authoritative quality content. You're going to be getting a lot of branded search queries. And you're also going to have a really strong link profile. So I'm a startup. I'm listening to this and I think to myself, hmm. I have no brand searches because no one knows about me yet. My content's okay, but I wouldn't call it necessarily authoritative yet because not many people have read it. And I probably only have one or two links. So where do I get started? Do I start doing some work myself or do I start speaking to an SEO consultant? And you know, what's where, where do I start my, my SEO journey, I guess? 
the first thing that we always say to people is you've got to educate yourself. So starting at like Moz Beginner's Guide to SEO, that's a really good starting point for a startup that wants to kind of get involved with SEO. And then you can you can sign up to a few different tools. So there's tools like ahrefs.com and semrush.com. These tools can really assist with doing keyword research and things like that for your business. So that's that's a good little starting point for a, a business that wants to understand first what is an SEO 101 and then secondly two really good tools. So ahrefs is great to look at your link profile for your business. So you put in your URL and it will tell you who's currently linking to your site. Whereas SEMrush, is, uh, it's a keyword analysis tool. So you can kind of put in your URL and it will tell you what keywords you rank for. You can also put in your competitors' URLs. It's pretty cool. So that's where I'd start. Yeah, I think um, you know, for a lot of startups, they're going to have zero backlinks. So they, you know, Ahrefs is is a tool that I love, and 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 most SEOs you know pay for their subscription because they can't imagine conducting you know marketing life without it. But I think the point you touched on there around the keywords, in my mind anyway, probably the most important starting point because it's all about the battle that you pick, right? So you know, you might be a small business and you've got a little area that you're looking to break into. But what I find when I speak to the founders is they have these giant expectations, you know, so they want to rank number one in Google for credit cards because they've got an alternative to a credit card. And you think, well, you, you need to understand just how hard that is to compete on. So, so keyword research is actually one of the, probably the best things I guess to do to try to find that niche that you've actually got a chance of competing in. So I, I'd love to dig down with you and kind of do a little bit, just a little bit on like, how, how does a startup founder find keywords and search phrases that they've got any kind of chance of competing for early on? Well, you're right in the sense that if you want to target a term like credit card, best credit cards, you're going to be up against people that have been doing SEO for 10 plus years and spending five figures a month on their campaigns. So it can be quite difficult. What you really want to go out and do is kind of niche down on your keyword research. So look for keywords that uh, aren't head terms. They're in like your mid tail and your long tail in terms of keyword research. Really just hone in on those type of terms because sometimes you can find lower competition terms. You can use like Google Keyword Planner. They have um, some free data for businesses that want to kind of search for various different elements of keywords. Another important factor is you want to look at paid search CPC on keywords. Because the thing is, if uh, keywords have a low CPC and low competition rate, it's usually a sign that, that no one's targeting them from paid search. Why would you want to target them from an SEO point of view? So that's an important element to think about as well when you're doing your keyword research. Does the flip side of that apply though, where imagine there's low bids, there's potentially therefore low competition on a keyword, but I guess if you've got a way to monetize that and you're a startup and you've got a new market, then I guess that's actually an opportunity. So I think you're right in the sense it's probably not got any real great competition because currently it's not there, but I guess the golden egg that you're searching for is keywords that have a low bid price in AdWords, as you say, because that represents potentially low competition. And if you're bidding low in AdWords, you can assume the SEO competition is going to be fairly low. But if you've got a way that you believe to monetize what's currently unmonetized keywords or search phrases, that's probably the ideal situation to find yourself in, right? Yeah. I mean, you can also use like um, SEMrush and Ahrefs. They have their own like keyword difficulty scores as well. So you can kind of base your research off that. The thing is, whenever you start an SEO campaign, you've got to spend a significant amount of time doing keyword research. It's like with any business, you've got to spend at least two weeks just doing keyword research and working out what you want to target. 
and really getting into the weeds. So keyword research is crucial to any SEO campaign. Absolutely. I think it, it basically defines the market that you're looking to compete in. So if you if you bite off more than you can chew, and like we use the example of credit cards, you're gonna you're gonna really suffer. So finding those easier to compete with keywords is gonna be a big thing. Linking back to what you said before, um, pardon the pun about linking in a conversation on SEO, but we you know, were talking about the number of links required to actually, or you know, the fact that links are a big factor. So you touched on looking at the competition there. I thought that was an interesting one. So that's where you're talking about using a tool to have a look at the kind of backlinks that the other side has and also the kind of keywords they rank. Can you explain a little bit more about what the tool is and, and what you would be extracting when you, when you do that research? So basically like a tool, for example, such as Ahrefs, is going to be fantastic for looking into competitors' link profiles and seeing like where the competitors are getting their links from and the quality of the links as well. It's it's a crucial tool. And even if you're a startup, they have like deals, it's like $7 for seven days. So you can get on there and you can check out information based on that. The thing is like links are very important for SEO. I'd say there's still 40 to 50% of SEO is your link profile. So you've got to have a, a solid link profile to rank well. Search intent is also very important. So when you do your keyword research, you've got to build your landing pages based on correct search intent as well. Just explain a little bit more about search intent there. So you talk about landing pages. Are you talking there about satisfying the search query with the appropriate answer or, we, or is it bigger and deeper than that? Yeah, so pretty much um, to go for an example back to credit cards, like if you search for best Woolworths credit card, for example, if you're building a landing page for that query, you really want to be hitting the best Woolworths credit card. You want to be having a lot of information to satisfy that query because if you have, uh, if you've got like just a hundred words of text, just boilerplate content, where you've dropped in just Woolworths to try and rank for it, you're probably not going to rank for that term. Your competitors will beat you out. So um, that that's just essentially what search intent is: is satisfying Google's engine basically when they're looking for a certain keyword to kind of show up for a term. So they'll look at search intent, they'll look at all your on-site technical factors, and they'll look at uh, your link profile for your site. So it's all like there's 200 different ranking factors. But these three that I've mentioned right now, they're really key in terms of uh, getting good results. Do you think search intent and that whole experience there, is that why we're seeing the rise of the deeper and the longer and the updated keyword pages. So it'll do a little bit of a, a backtrack in time. So there was a period where, you know, James and I would have been doing SEO and the standard process was find a search phrase, build a page for it, optimize the title, the heading, some copy. And the more pages you built, the more traffic you basically scooped in. It was kind of like dragnet fishing. And it's kind of moving now. It's becoming people have, I've noticed a really sort of fine tuning and getting dedicated landing pages really focused around not just one keyword, but a series. So I guess that's where we're seeing, you know, for a startup founder, spending the time and running deep, you know, informative, researched quality content is probably better than spreading themselves thin these days, right? Yes, 100%. Um, for example, for some of our US clients, like we have clients in the US that are ranking for competitive queries, but the term that's ranking, it, the page that's ranking for the competitive term, it's a 10,000 word article that really hits the search intent. But that one page ranks for like 2,340 something different terms that are relevant to that head term. So I, I definitely feel like building long form content assets is the way forward. You see people giving advice like go and build 800 blog posts a year to do well in SEO. And 
I think we're much more a fan of building a smaller number of high quality content assets rather than just a high volume approach where you've got 10 articles that are essentially the same thing that are respun. It's just not the way to do things. And you see a lot of people giving the wrong advice. And I still see it even to this day. We've had many run-ins on LinkedIn where people are giving the wrong advice and kind of chime in and say, look, this is what we're seeing that's working in competitive verticals. That being said, though, in some verticals, a long-form article may be what is satisfying search intent, whereas in other verticals, you might see a quiz is going to be what's ranking on the first eight results of Google. So you've got to build your content based on what's um, showing for different queries. Search intent is a big factor of it. And if you're thinking about ranking for a different term, you have to go to that results page and see what type of results are coming up. Most of the time, if it's a content-based query term, it's going to be like a landing page. If it's a quiz term, or it could be something else, like it could be a Q&A-based type term. So it's it's a tricky one, but I think quality over quantity is definitely what we push for. One of the things you mentioned there when you were explaining was saying, look, you're on LinkedIn, you read lots of posts, you see some advice, and you think that that advice just straight out isn't correct. Now, the problem for a startup founder who needs to be a jack of all trades, like they've got, to, they've got to get all the different marketing channels working for them is how do they tell what's right advice and not? Because it's, there's no printed rule book. Like there's guidelines from Google and maybe we can touch on that. But how does a founder actually work out whether the SEO expert, and I air quote expert there, actually knows what they're talking about? Are there any tricks we can do to make sure we're not being um, led down the, uh, the garden path, so to speak? I think the best way to kind of see if someone really knows their stuff or not is kind of just say, do you have some relevant case studies for me? Have you actually worked in my vertical in the past? What's your level of experience? Because the thing about SEO is someone can pick up a book and after three months, they can say, I'm an SEO expert. And then you say to them, you ask them a few technical questions and then they give you a blank stare and say, what's a HREF Lang tag? What's this? What's that? Like they don't know the basic concepts. So someone like myself been doing SEO for over 14 years, I think once you have a lot of experience in a vertical, like for example, we've got a heap of experience in the marketplace vertical, we've got a heap of experience in finance. You get to be known in these certain verticals. And when someone needs help, they kind of say, who's the best in finance? Who's the best in marketplaces? We'll give them a call, you know? And I think you've got to really look into the, the individual's background and I find one thing that we're seeing now is when, when we've got prospects calling our company, they'll go through our YouTube page. They'll look at all the videos that we've got at all our events. They'll go to our company blog. They'll see a 5,000-word article on technical SEO. They'll, they'll really do their research. They'll read through all your case studies on your website. They'll check out who your clients are. They'll really do their research now. And I think if you're a business that's looking for help, you've got to do your background checks. You've got to actually see, are these people the real deal? Do they have the background? Do they have the, the speaking experience? Or are they just some average Joe off the street who's just said, I'm an expert? And it happens in all industries. SEO is just not the only industry where you see this. You see it in construction, you see dodgy doctors, etc., etc. And I think you've got to do your background checks. You've got to really reverse engineer the company. And if, if you're going to be spending several thousand dollars a month or over a year, you've got to spend a few hours and do some digging around. That's my advice. 
the idea of doing what, like you were interviewing someone and doing that background research on their experience is, is absolutely crucial because it, you know, anyone can spin up a website and, and lay claim to a few things, but when you see industry accreditation, speaking, all those opportunities, it makes a big difference. So with 14 years experience um, in SEO, I think that's a long enough path back to start to draw a line and start to look forward a little bit. What do you think SEO is going to look like in the next, say, two to three years? What, what do you expect is going to be changing, James? I think like the basic concepts are still going to be the same. I think like there may be a lower reliance on links. I think we'll be seeing more search intent. I mean, we'll be seeing more people using voice search. It's had a slow uptake, but I think voice search will come up more. I think like uh, quality user experience is always going to be important over the next two to three years. Getting the foundations correct, satisfying search intent. I mean, high-quality link acquisition is still going to be important for the next few years. Building quality sites, you know. And I think um, you can't just be cutting corners and using scraped content and um, doing shady link building. Google's really catching up on it. Even in March last month, they had the Florida 2 update. So a lot of lower-quality sites have been hit post that update. So it's uh it's something that you've really got to think is this still going to be working in two to three years and i think if you're doing things correctly they will still be working in two to three years and i can't really see seo going anywhere like i mean paid search is still very important as well but i think getting the right seo for your business is still crucial as well because seo is still a huge traffic channel and if you're serious about customer acquisition you've got to be investing in key channels like seo paid search seo Yada, yada, yada. I think the way you sort of paint that picture over history, it's a really good way to visualize where we're moving to is to understand how things have changed. So if I go way back, and I guess I've been doing SEO for almost 20 years, and I think back to what that was, and it was very much around keyword stuffing. And that's where we sort of got to and, and Google invented themselves are really focusing on links. And they made links the focus, which was the idea that it was external votes. Now that Google's view covers the on-site experience and the user intent, you, you can see how the evolution of SEO goes from on-site content to make sure that's relevant, went towards links. And now you can kind of see how links are turning down. And as Google gets more visibility over everything that we do in our lives, that intent and that user experience is going to become a bigger part of SEO. And so we've kind of gone from a, a very technical world of SEO, which was all sort of on-site. Then we moved into link building, which was all relationships. And now we're kind of adding this whole user interface, user experience element to SEO. So it's kind of I guess it's growing up as an industry. It's becoming a little bit more complicated. But as you point out at the end there, that it's becoming more focused on the user, which just means, you know, if you do the right thing by the user, you provide good value content and you stay focused on that, then those core principles, you're aligned to where Google's moving to. And if you do that, you're probably going to be around in a couple of years. So touching on those last things you mentioned, so, you know, the new areas of search, so video search and voice search, well, at least those things appearing in the search engine result pages. Have you seen some of the voice content appearing in the Google SERPs and, oh, sorry, I say SERPs and search engine result pages? And, and do you have a view of where you think that might be moving towards? Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, like, um, from what we've been seeing is like, if someone's going to be searching using voice, Google's most of the time picking up featured snippet-based results. So getting featured snippets, like position zero featured snippet, getting those right. Also PAA, people also ask queries. 
getting those right as well. Like you really want to be having visibility on those terms because if someone uses their phone to search via voice on Google, they're going to say like, what's the best restaurant in Brisbane CBD? They're either going to be pulling a featured snippet or a, a Google My Business location. And just for clarity for people listening, so can you just explain what a featured snippet is? Because I think everyone's seen it, but they might not know what you're talking about. Yeah. So a featured snippet is basically when you search for a query like, uh, best ways for a startup to invest in marketing, right? And then when you search for it and you see below the paid listings, there'll be like a little circled box in the Google results. And it'll say like on the website, jareddoyle.com, these are the best ways to kind of spend your marketing budget. And then like, it'll be like, it'll take up really good search uh, presence. So it'll take like featured snippets can get like 40% CTR in certain queries. And there's different types of featured snippets. So there's tabled featured snippets, there's question featured snippets. And you can actually optimize your pages for them. So there's a featured snippet markup that you can actually use. Featured snippets have their own ranking factors as well. So they're really crucial. And featured snippets in our testing are crucial for voice search as well. That's really interesting. I mean, I already knew that featured snippets were going to, you know, they take up a disproportionate amount of the traffic clicking through because it looks great. But it hadn't occurred to me that that's probably what Google's, I mean, I speak to Google Home almost every morning, although it's almost always just to read me the news. But my kids love it. My kids love asking Google questions. So you've done a little bit of research in that and you found a strong correlation between snippets and, and Google home or google voice answers in my eyes this is still quite a new area like this is stunning that we're we're testing at the moment or we're not going all into voice just yet because there's a whole world of other seo areas out there yeah it's it's nice to think about where we're going to go but right now the bulky of the traffic is going to come from people going to google.com typing something in and or just straight from their chrome browser and that's that's the bulk of the traffic and so focus where the people are with, a, with an eye on the future, but, but focus on the here and now. Exactly. So we spoke a bit about the importance of, of links and how they're 40, 50%. And we don't really know, but you know, we, we, we know with gut feel and some intuition what the influence is. So someone's listening to this and they think, okay, that's great. Links, you know, that's someone with a hyperlink linking to my website from theirs. Okay, good, done. The next thing is, how do they go about getting those links and what are the best links look like? The best links are going to be links that are like journalistic. So if you use a PR agency, or you use a service like Source Bottle or Harrow, help a reporter out. And basically what you do is every day you get emails in your inbox. So you'll get an email from Harrow or you'll get an email from Source Bottle. And they'll say, hey, we're looking for people to uh, submit a comment on this story. or We're looking for a startup founder to say this. And you submit a comment to them. So those type of links are really good, but sometimes they're harder to get. Other types of links you can get, you can get like content placement based links. That's where you reach out to a relevant site and you say, hey, we'd love to be a guest author on your site. Those type of links can be good. Also, you want to be looking at other links. It depends on what vertical you're in. If you're in e-commerce, you can reach out to your suppliers and you can get links from all your different suppliers. All it takes is just a phone call to say, hey, I know you're a supplier or or a quick little email and say, hey, you're a supplier, I can get a link back. There's all other types of link building as well. There's like foundation-based link building. That's just pretty much going out to all like the startup profile sites like Crunchbase and Angel.co and just saying, hey, can like how do I get a, a profile set up here to build out the foundation links in my profile? So there's some really quick areas that startups will be able to kind of jump into and start investigating. That idea of reaching out to suppliers and partners is a good one. And I think 
the way it works is once a founder starts to realize that links equal rankings and rankings equal visitors and visitors equal money. So you start to think about and go, you have so many conversations that maybe you can't monetize straight away, but turning those conversations into link opportunities is absolutely crucial. You know, so it'd be bad form of me to put up the show notes and not link to your website. You know, that's kind of a, it's a foregone conclusion that I'm going to link to James's uh, agency. And the thing about that is it doesn't cost me anything. One of the misconceptions I find with link building is people feel like it's uh, they've got an amount of power or pie. And by me linking to James, I'm somehow losing power. And that's not the way it works. My, my pie stays exactly the same. My power stays exactly the same. I'm giving something to James. So I'm giving James a boost. Um, that's not having an impact on me necessarily. Although to extend it, if James is highly relevant, if I link to a highly relevant page or a blog or he's related to what I'm talking about, then that link can add relevance to my site. So, you know, if you do these things well, it should be a, um, you know, it should be a gain, for, a small gain for my business and hopefully a big game uh, gain for James's. So, you know, when you're conducting your business, you're having conversations, even if you're walking into a co-working space and you're signing up and saying, yep, I'm going to rent a desk here. First thing you should be doing is going, right, where's your, where's your list of current tenants and get me on there. And I'd, I'd like to be a, a, a guest post on your site straight away because it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like little things like that can make a difference. Even just like a lot of co-working spaces have email lists and you can just work out who else in the co-working space has a relevant website or blog that I can get onto, for example. Like you'd be surprised. Like even at Fishburners in Sydney, I, I knew that was uh, one of their tenants was like one of the largest photography sites in the world. So people like that, you really want to be buying them a beer and saying, hey, can I um, potentially do a, a guest piece of content? If, if you've got a company that's selling drones, for example, you know, you could write an authoritative article on drones because if someone like that already has the authority on their site, they've already got traffic and they've already got an email list that's considerable as well, it can be a, like a win-win-win, you know, like you're going to be uh, hitting everything. That's actually really important, isn't it? Because what you've done there is you've said, hey, it's not just about the link. If you write on a really popular website and the, the content you write is really great and relevant, not only does it boost your SEO, but people will click on the link, come through and then maybe purchase. I think that's actually a really nice proxy for working out the links that are going to have the best value because, you know, talk about user intent. If you place a link and that link's likely to get clicked on and likely to result in positive commercial outcomes, that is in more cases than not probably a really highly value SEO link at the same time. So that's really sound advice. And I, and I like the idea of using co-working spaces because every co-working space I've ever seen has, oh, most of them now have a Slack email list as well. So trawling through that, finding people and then pitching them and saying, hey, I want to write about my, you know, I'm going to write this content for your website. You know, I think you'll get some pretty good success rates and it's probably a nice way to start building up some SEO power. Oh, exactly. Like the thing is like you can, you can look at Slack channels as well and there's ways you can extract the emails from a whole Slack channel. So <laughs> we're moving into the, uh, the, super, the super dark art world of, uh, of proper growth hack marketing. If you want to explore that, the best tip is go check out um, Phantom Buster and their APIs and you can pull down entire Slack channels. But that's for another conversation for another day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, like I mean, just going through and looking who's on the Slack channel, you don't have to scrape the whole channel like you can just look through and who's relevant who's someone that you've met etc etc you can even just chuck up a question and say hey does anyone want to collaborate on this idea you know i'm on a few paid slack groups and they've been really beneficial like we've uh, acquired affiliate websites through them and like we've made some really great contacts in australia and even overseas 
our business has definitely benefited from being on a few paid groups. Getting towards the end of the episode and the question I always love asking is around things that you believe that nobody else or at least a lot of people disagree with you on. And now SEO is great for this topic because SEO is full of opinionated people who have got theories and ideas of what works and what doesn't work. So James, I'm really curious to know what's your SEO thesis or idea that not everyone agrees with you on at the moment, but you'd like to use this opportunity to push your agenda a little bit further along. The links is a huge factor because you see like a lot of people, especially in agencies in Australia that say you shouldn't be building links because they say links don't work, like have a website and links will come naturally to it. And I think if you really want to grow as a business, you've got to be doing some type of link acquisition work. I think links are still very important, especially in competitive verticals, but they've got to be the right type of links. Also, another one, when you want to get deeper into links, you want to talk about anchor text distribution. We're really fond of the fact to say you want to be getting or pushing for at least 90 to 95% plus branded anchors. So if that's someone linking to you, it's like it's Gerard Doyle. It's your name. It's your company's name. But if it's uh, someone linking to you with a commercial intent anchor text, you really want to limit those. They're two really big areas. There's been a lot of like people disagreeing and agreeing on certain things that that we're more we're more positive for saying yes, you should be doing link acquisition if it's high quality and it's organic outreach. And yes, you should be using more branded anchors and a lot like 90% plus brand or brand plus generic. So they're two big areas that I'd call out. I must agree, the over-optimization of keyword anchor text is probably a spiller over the last four to five years of SEO. And it's a dangerous world to get into because it's tempting to make every single one of your anchor texts say the words credit cards, if that's what you want to rank for. But that's not the way people naturally link to these things. And it's going to be sending the wrong signals to Google. And, and it's just going to put you on a list. You know, you're probably not going to get yourself banned, but you've got a good chance of reducing the overall impact of the links that could have been if you had a link to your website with your brand name. So very contentious and well you know at least debatable anyway so definitely something to think about and i I tend to fall on on your side as well when it comes to to link building look it's great to imagine we live in an seo utopian society where if you build great content they will come but the reality is you've got to hustle you've got to get out there you've got to build a few links and do some hard work because if you don't you're probably not going to appear anywhere and then you've got very little chance of ranking so Good advice all around, James. So if people are um, if people are intrigued with your ideas and, and they'd like to sort of follow your thoughts, your content, or even get in contact with you, what's the best way to reach out to you or Prosperity Media? Jump onto prosperitymedia.com.au and shoot us a message. Check out some of our content. I mean, we've got a bunch of videos, training videos on YouTube. We're really trying to build that up this year. We've got a lot of blog articles with different CMSs. We've got technical checklist guides. Jump on there if you want to get in contact. Shoot us an email, james at prosperitymedia.com.au. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to see if we can assist. Great. Well, thank you so much for your, your time today. I, um, I think we've tapped into that growth hacking side of things with the Slack channel scraping. So maybe we'll put something in the diary for four or five months time and we'll come up with a whole bunch of like real hack marketing <laughs> ideas and we can, we can trade them on another podcast. Oh, there's so many hacks out there. But the thing is a lot of growth hackers, especially in Australia, there's a lot of bad growth hackers. There's only very few good ones that are really sharing new things. Like, I mean, 3D images on Facebook and like Instagram story hacks. And one of the best growth hackers that I've seen in Australia would probably be like Jared Codling. He's really dropping some 
fantastic hacks that are, are really revolutionary. If you follow him, he's from Newcastle in Australia. And yeah, he, a lot of his hacks are like, these are stuff that's uh, even more advanced than what people are doing in the US. So some good guys around the space doing well. So yeah, for Australia, we're going to have to yeah. follow him. He's another person to keep in contact with. <laughs> yeah, he, he's good. Well, James, look, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I hope um, people listening have, have got a few ideas and they stay focused on on all the different tips and tricks and strategies you've given them. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure chatting with you. And I look forward to getting you back talking about those growth hack things um, in the not too distant future. Fantastic. All right. Thank you for the time, Jared. Cheers.